Good morning. It's great to be with you again. Uh, it's very odd having to come to you in this way, and uh, I'm excited to tell you that we're going to be able to eliminate uh, this mode that separates us. Uh, I'm here to tell you today that we have a date for our return, and uh, that date is going to be a week from today, May 31st on Pentecost Sunday. We're really excited about that. And I just wanna tell you that we've put a great deal of thought into how this return is going to look. Our return is gonna to come to you in phases, and I'm gonna give you some information on what our phase one is going to look like, what it's gonna include and what it's not gonna have. And so first and foremost, I wanna say this to you, that your safety is our top priority. And I know that uh, everybody is um, very cognizant of the things that are going on. And uh, we want you to know that uh, we've put a lot of time and effort into that. So your safety is our top priority. We're gonna be cleaning the building from top to bottom. As a matter of fact, we're gonna have an addition to our normal cleaning here. We're bringing in a carpet and an upholstery cleaning uh, group, and they're gonna clean the carpets and they're gonna clean all of the chairs. And uh, one of the things that this service has is they have a cleaning solution that kills the COVID-19 virus. And so they'll be not only using that on the initial cleaning of the chairs, but we'll be able to spray the chairs after each service each week to make sure that anything that might have came in doesn't stay in and it leaves. And so uh, we want you to know this that we want you to love people from a distance. We want you to give virtual hugs. We want you to uh, try to stay as best as possible uh, a, a distance apart and respect people's space. Uh, that's extremely hard for a Redeemer to do, and I know that and I understand that, but we're gonna make our very best effort to do that. So I'm asking you that we would have no handshakes, no high fives, no hugs, and those types of things while we're meeting together in phase one. Another thing that you'll see when you come into the sanctuary, you'll see that the chairs are set apart. Uh, there'll be rows of chairs and families can sit together in the same row. There'll be singles chairs and uh, you just need to know that we're setting these as best to our ability at six feet apart. And so we're trying to honor the things that the health department is asking us to do. And we wanna do those things because first and foremost, we want you guys to be confident to come back. I'm gonna just be honest with you, on May 31st, I'm gonna be chomping at the bit to come together with our worship team and to gather together to be in community. And so we wanna make this not just an amazing spiritual experience, but also an amazing physical experience as well. Now, I just wanna let you know that we'll only be using the main building. And so there'll be no entrance into the facility through the children and youth side. We're gonna keep that uh, cut off for phase one so that we can just concentrate on having one place that we need to keep sanitized and disinfected. And so uh, the main entrance of the main building will be where you need to come in. Now, the third thing I wanna tell you is, is that the service will be a little different. It'll be a little shorter. 
okay? We're gonna have uh, some amazing praise and worship, and quite frankly, uh, we're really gonna focus on worshiping God through this time. We're gonna have an, uh, a, a powerful but shorter message, and we're still gonna pray for people just from a distance, and we know that God is able to do exceedingly more than and abundantly more than we can ever imagine anyway, so we don't have to worry about those things because we know God's in control. One of the things that we can't do in phase one is, is we can't offer any children's ministry or youth ministries. And so those will still be closed down for phase one. But our children's ministry is gonna be providing you and your children with their Sunday school papers and a, a small packet of crayons that during service that they'll be able to color and those sorts of things. Uh, it wouldn't even be a bad idea if you just brought a quiet toy with you that your kids could do. Now, we're looking at a service of 65, hour and five, hour and 10 minutes. Your children are already in service in a typical Redeemer service for the first 45 or 50 minutes anyway. So this is not gonna be a huge change or transition for us. Um, and so we're looking forward to be able uh, to have the whole family come. If you have children, we want you to be here. And you know me, I'm a grandpa of nine, and children don't bother me, they don't affect me, and, and so we're gonna continue to praise and preach and minister with our children in the service, and it's absolutely fine. There's no problem with that. One of the things when you come into the building, uh, we're gonna have sanitation stations set up in the lobby in different places and bathrooms and so forth. And uh, we would just think it'd be a great idea if when you come in, you would just hit one of those sanitation stations, give a, a couple squirts of the uh, alcohol stuff for your hands or wash your hands or whatever. Uh, but we're gonna be uh, asking you just to, you know, Take a minute to just sanitize your hands and so forth when you come in. All the doors and the sanctuaries are gonna remain open for the entire service uh, because we want to eliminate as many things as possible that people will be touching with their hands. Also in phase one, we won't be able to offer coffee and uh, the water fountain between the bathrooms is gonna be shut off as well. Now, with that being said, uh, in the sanitation station areas, we're also gonna be offering you bottled water. But we would encourage you to bring your own, uh, bring your own beverage. Go to Starbucks and get your favorite coffee before you come in or Panera or wherever you go uh, to get your favorite coffee. And uh, we're gonna say, just go ahead and bring it on into the worship setting because you know we know that that's important to so many people. Um, the next thing I just wanna share with you is this that if you have a condition that requires you to wear a mask or you just want to wear a mask, we wanna encourage you to do that. You're more than welcome uh, to continue that same practice. We're not gonna be providing masks uh, during uh, phase one, but 
Uh, bring the mask that you're already currently wearing if you wear a mask, and uh, that's gonna be perfectly fine. We also wanna let you know that if you're not wearing a mask during this time, that's perfectly fine as well. We're gonna leave that up to you and allow you to make your own decision on how you wanna do that, and we'll respect and love both decisions that you make, and we're gonna have a great and safe service. Now, I realize that some of you uh, will not want to come to the phase one opening, and I, I get that 100%. And I want you to know that we're gonna do our very best to continue to do this. It's gonna be a lot of extra work, uh, but we're gonna keep uh, an online presence for you who can't come or don't feel comfortable coming in phase one, and uh, we're gonna still provide you an online experience. I want you to know this. If you choose not to come on phase one, we love you. We won't condemn you. You won't be chastised. You'll be respected. We're all a part of this. We're growing and learning together in this experience, and we as a body, whether you remain online or you come for the sanctuary experience, we are one and will always remain one. And so I'm excited to bring you the news that we're gonna be uh, opening up again on May 31st, Pentecost Sunday. And you'll also be getting more information about everything that I shared with you and how it's gonna look in the next coming days. But what excites me right now is to be able to bring the word of God. Over the next two weeks, I'm gonna bring messages that uh, revolve around the uh, Pentecost experience. And on May 31st, and the reason we're really choosing May 31st to open, because we want to celebrate Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday is the Sunday that we celebrate uh, seven weeks after Easter. And uh, for the next two weeks, I wanna talk about the components of Pentecost and what Pentecost means to the New Testament believer. And uh, it's interesting that the Pentecost experience is not a denominational experience. It's not an experience that one group holds to no, quite frankly, the Pentecost experience is something that the church holds on to. And the New Testament church was founded on that day, the day of Pentecost. What is Pentecost? Well, Pentecost is simple, and I'm going to keep that simple. Pentecost is the day when Jesus' disciples encountered the Holy Spirit for the first time. All throughout the the Gospels. Jesus continually points to this event happening. As a matter of fact, when we take communion, a lot of times I'll read from Luke chapter 22, and Jesus uses this word when he talks about facing death on the cross. He says, it's with fervent desire that I move forward to this position to have this time of the Last Supper with you. The fervent desire he had is, is because he knew once he went to the cross that there would be a force released to the church at that time that would empower it to do what God 
had called the church to do, that the kingdom of God would be transformed from the Gospels unto the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is the hinge pin of what the New Testament church, the new history that was going to be written uh, for the, the modern day church of our time. And so the day of Pentecost is, as I said before, it's that time we celebrate on the seventh Sunday after Easter. Now, there are three incredible times in the life of the New Testament church that we celebrate certain dates that we consider to be life-changing and historical and things that are lasting even to this day and they'll last until the return of Jesus. Those three events are simple. The first is Christmas, the birth of Jesus. We see that the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 9, 6, he says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be uh, upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. That event, Christmas and celebrating the birth of Jesus just brings life to the New Testament church. It, br it brought hope to the people at that time. The second event uh, that was life-changing and historic in the life of the church is obviously Easter, when we celebrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. The prophet Isaiah, who spoke about the coming of Christ, also talked about the sacrifice that Christ would make in Isaiah 53, 3. And it says this, that uh, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought peace was on him, and uh, by his wounds we are healed. And so we know that as we celebrate Easter, we just celebrate the resurrection hope of Jesus Christ. But I believe that equally as important to the life of the New Testament church of Christmas and Easter is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, we go on to see, and as we're talking about Pentecost Sunday, that uh, the, the movement that we celebrate was talked about by the prophet Joel hundreds of years before it occurred and thousands of years from where we are now. I'm using prophets to accentuate each one of these things because of the importance of this. When we tie together what was prophesied of old into what is currently happening today, it brings relevance and significance and power to the effect of what we're actually getting to experience in Christmas, in Easter, and in Pentecost Sunday. This is what the prophet Joel said about the time of Pentecost. And it shall come. In, to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servant and maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. It's clear that what took place on the day of Pentecost 
In the same way that it was prophesied that we would have a savior born to us. In the same way that it was prophesied that that savior would suffer for us. It was prophesied that on the day of Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit would come into our lives and be activated in us. And it would empower us to carry forth the mission of the New Testament church. You see, Jesus, when he received his, uh, at the time of his water baptism, we also see that the Bible says the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. We know that nothing occurred uh, before the time of the Holy Spirit come upon, came upon him that we would call miracles. You see, the power of the Holy Spirit fell upon Jesus at the time of his water baptism, and it enabled him from that point forward to do the amazing miracles that we see today. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in one setting. And it's interesting that after all this occurred, that the Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, each of these events, as I said before, they were foretold hundreds of years before uh, they actually occurred. They were prophesied, and we can see that today, that those prophetic words came to pass, and it validates all of the messages that God spoke to them hundreds of years ago. As the work of the New Testament church uh, continues today, believers around the world are still being filled with the Holy Spirit. I can remember the, the actual day in 1984 when I was blessed to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And from that day forward, a hunger for God's word, a passion uh, to do what he had called me to do, and just a desire to serve him came into my life like I had never experienced before up to that point. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a powerful experience that empowers us, like those in the day of Pentecost, uh, uh, to walk in the continual power that God has intended for us to have. The Holy Spirit releases authority and power, giftings and special attributes to us, and Jesus was keenly aware of that. Now, I want you to understand that as we live our lives in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, that we live in a way that enables us to have the strength and the authority to do what God has called us to do in the New Testament church. You know, over the last two weeks, Pastor Caleb has preached some incredible messages on what Jesus didn't say. And he tied in some incredible truths that uh, just really blessed me. And I know those messages blessed you as well. Well, today I'm going to tell you something different. I'm going to tell you what he did say. And Jesus said multiple things about the Holy Spirit. He said he gave us multiple reasons why we should uh, uh, want to embrace the Holy Spirit. And so for the next couple of minutes, I just want to spend some time laying out what the Holy Spirit is called, uh, what the Holy, what we're called to do as we walk in the power of the Spirit and what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through us. How did this all take place? 
Well, if you would, let's start back in Luke and begin in chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, I pray that you would turn to those at this time. Listen, man, I love the Word of God. I love my Bible. Mm, I love the way it smells. I love everything about it. And I want to be able to read some context today for you that's going to help us to understand what the Holy Spirit's about, how it occurs, and uh, how we can embrace it for ourselves. The Bible says in uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 3, it's talking about John the Baptist and his intended purpose. And it says, And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And as it is written in the book of words of Isaiah the prophet saying this, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the, of the Lord, make his pathway straight. Every valley should, shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of the Lord. And that was John the Baptist's job. He was to prepare a, a, a pathway for the Lord to come. But it's interesting because in verse 15 of that same chapter, it says now, as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether or not he was the Christ. You see, John was the one at this time doing the baptizing. He was the one challenging the people to repent, walk away from their sins. He was actually challenging the authorities of, at that time. He actually said statements like, you brood of vipers. I mean, he was adamant in the things that he was even saying to the Pharisees of the time, those religious people who weren't uh, grasping the fact of G that Jesus was coming. But this was John's response, and I think it's really important for us to hear this. In verse 16, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal straps I'm not even worthy to loose. Now, he said, this is what Jesus will do. Because that's who he's talking about. The one that comes after him is Jesus. He is the Messiah. And this is what the Messiah does. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It's clear that there's two separate baptisms. There's the believer's baptism, the one that John is uh, performing here at this time, and that's the baptism of water. When we make our identification as a believer, we go under the water representing his burial. We come out representing his resurrection, and it's a spiritual experience. I mean, at the time of my water baptism, I knew that God had transformed my life. It's a powerful experience, but it's not the same as the baptism with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that baptism comes from Jesus. Now let's turn to uh, Acts chapter one right now in your Bibles, and let's look because Jesus is gonna confirm what John the Baptist has just told us in the scripture. And so in Acts chapter one, verse four, it says, 
And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is an interesting time because Jesus is sequestering them into the upper room in Jerusalem. He's telling them to stay confined in one place because something incredible is going to happen to them. You know, all throughout the entire Bible, there are multiple examples of people being sequestered in a place for a time period. And after that time period is over, God has done something amazing. We all know that Moses was sequestered in the wilderness for 40 years before he came out to lead the people of uh, Israel out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. And so Jesus is saying, stay put for a short amount of time. And after that amount of time is up and during it, something incredible is going to happen to you. And so he said, wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you have heard from me. Well, I'm going to point out several places in the Bible where they heard about the Holy Spirit from Jesus. Just uh, a couple chapters before, in Luke 24, 49, he tells them that there is going to be a time when the Holy Spirit in Luke 24, 49 is going to envelop them, come upon them, and, uh, 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 be with them. And uh, they didn't fully probably understand the totality of that statement yet, but Jesus is going to make things perfectly clear in the days ahead. Verse Five verifies what John just said. For true, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. John baptized with water, Jesus baptizes with the Spirit. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But listen to verse 8. But when you receive power, dunamis power, a, a, a power beyond your natural flesh, when you receive power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see, the Holy Spirit empowering us comes with a purpose, it comes with a call, and it comes with a direction. Jesus says you are to be filled with the Spirit, and the power that you have is to be a witness to me all around the world. And we're so blessed, and I'm not going to talk about this today. I'll talk about this more next week, the attributes of the Spirit. But that same Spirit rests upon each of us today who choose to receive the baptism that he talks about. Now, I want to go back and I want to paint the picture of what Jesus said to his disciples. What was he saying to them about this incredible Holy Spirit? Now, in John chapter 13, he begins to tell the disciples that he's going to be leaving them one day. Uh, and when he moves into John chapter 14, he begins to reveal to them a little bit of a safety net saying, even though I'm leaving, I'm not leaving you alone. 
And so let's take a look at what was promised to them by Jesus about the Holy Spirit. Now, when we look at John chapter 14 and verse 15, it says this, if you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And in verse 16, he says, and I will pray and the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Now, the Greek word for or, or another there is this. It's a word that allos, and it states this, that uh, uh, there is gonna be one beside you that uh, is another of the exact same kind. And so what Jesus is trying to tell them is, I'm gonna release to you the Holy Spirit. He's just like me, but this was the purpose in which he uh, 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 has to fulfill upon the earth. It's a purpose that I can't fulfill. It's something that I need to leave so that you can have this amazing power that rests upon me. Isn't that just like Jesus? There isn't anything that he had that he wasn't willing to give us. As a matter of fact, just a few verses before this, Jesus tells his disciples that even greater things you will do in your time of serving the kingdom than I did. Greater things. Wow, I can't even imagine the idea of doing something that's even greater than what Jesus did. But verse 17 says this about the Holy Spirit. It says, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, this is what Jesus said to them. He said in verse 18, he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In other words, Jesus was not going to leave us in a fatherless position. He wasn't going to leave us in a powerless position. You know, how many times have you seen a movie about orphans and they're the ones that have the least food, the worst accommodations, uh, people lording over them and those types of things. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not going to be your portion. Although your savior is going to be with the father, I'm not leaving you alone. I won't leave you powerless. And he says that I'm going to give you the spirit of truth. And so the spirit of truth is going to lead you. But I want to make an interesting connector here. He says this. He says, the world won't know who this Holy Spirit is. And basically, if you don't know Jesus, then you don't know who the Holy Spirit is. Now, the Apostle Paul says something extremely similar uh, to that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I want to look at that just real briefly here as well, because there's something important that you need to see through this. And so in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, uh, reading from uh, verse 12 and 14, it says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. This is the spirit Jesus is talking about. I'll pray to the father and he will give you another spirit, the Holy Spirit. And that spirit is from God. 
that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. See, when we have the Holy Spirit, we know because we are connected to God what we've been given by God. Now, here's what the Apostle Paul says, though. He says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Listen, folks, when you are connected to God, when you've said yes to Jesus Christ, when you believe in everything that the Bible says, you are connected to a source of heavenly things that man outside of the kingdom of God has no concept of. But you have to be connected to get them. What do I mean by that? Well, it's simple. Let me give you a couple earthly examples. You know, before you can get cable TV in your house, you have to call and make an appointment. You have to contact the provider. You make an appointment and then the company comes out and they install the proper equipment into your house so that you can receive a signal that broadcasts into your home. Until you make the call, set the appointment, receive the equipment, and come connected to the source that provides the channels, you cannot get any channels from a cable TV company. Now, those signals are everywhere out in the world, but you cannot connect to them until you have the proper equipment. It's the same thing with the cell phone. You know, I'm connected to Verizon. That's a cheap plug for Verizon Wireless. But the truth is, is that uh, when, when you connect and you want to sign up for cell phone service, you've got to make your appointment. You've got to purchase the phone. Then they have to connect this phone to the source of their towers so that you're able to receive the signal. If you're not connected to the towers, then you cannot receive texts. You cannot uh, go on uh, to the internet and, and search for things. You can't receive phone calls. The only way way you can do that is by being connected to the source. All of these signals are in the airways. You can't see them, but when you become connected, then you receive the benefits of drawing those signals into the equipment that you have for the purpose of them helping you in your lifetime. Now, I love to still listen to sports on the radio. And uh, as a matter of fact, I remember growing up playing football in the street and all of the neighbors would have the, the Buckeyes game playing on, on the radio and blasting them out so that we could hear those games as we were outside playing football ourselves. Listen, I'm signed up to Cirrus Radio and uh, I get every Major League Baseball game. And my team, the Los Angeles Dodgers, they are on the West Coast and those games don't uh, get over till 1130 or 12 o'clock. And it's not uncommon for me to be sitting in my car in my driveway connected to the signal receiving the Dodgers games uh, over the radio because it's just uh, uh, something I love to do. But those signals connect me to all of those sources. And what 
Jesus and, and uh, 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 the Apostle Paul are saying is that the only way to walk and receive the good things of God, the spirit of truth, is by being connected to him. The world cannot receive him because they don't know him. And when you hear about the amazing things that God can do or the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life, they seem like foolishness to those who don't know Jesus. But listen to those of us who do, they are peace and power and authority and comfort and guidance. And we as the church have to walk in that encounter that we receive when the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes upon us. I wrote an article several years ago, and in that article, I said this, I said, likewise, in the spirit, we must have the proper connection to hear or discern the signals that God is sending to us to walk victoriously. The Bible tells us that the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit because they're foolishness to him. Here is once again the practical side of our relationship with God and how it works. Google and Bing and Yahoo uh, are all great search engines for earthly wisdom. But the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is the search engine for all things from God. But the Spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us. The Holy Spirit is the search engine for all the things that God has revealed to us. For yes, the Spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. And so we can be connected. The, the, the disciples were connected. They knew Jesus, they loved Jesus, they served Jesus, they walked with Jesus, and they obeyed Jesus to go to the upper room to be able to freely receive the next portion uh, that he was going to give them, the next uh, power source that he was going to reveal to them. Jesus goes on to say a few more things about the Holy Spirit uh, in the book of John. And I want to just take a moment to just look at a few of them. And so in John chapter 14, we just read that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and that he leads us in all truth. We saw that Jesus was going to send another helper, one just like him. And time and time again, over these next several scriptures, you're going to see Jesus say the same thing. I'm going to send you a helper. The helper does this. The helper says that. The helper is just like you. Now, the word helper also could be termed the word advocate. And in other words, the helper or the advocate is one who is standing in a place representing you in everything that you do. The power of the Holy Spirit never leaves you, never forsakes you, never walks in, uh, never walks you contrary to the place that God would have you. The Bible says this about us, and this is such a cool thing. You know, the Temple of Solomon and, and used to be a, a place to where the Spirit of God rested. It was built for that. 
But when Jesus went to the cross, as we celebrated on Easter, he tore a veil that separated us from that inner place. And now he, he has said that no longer is the, uh, my spirit and my presence going to rest in a temple. He says, no, that my presence is going to rest inside of each person. The Bible says we're a vessel. We are a container for God. And God wants to come and live inside of this, this temple. We know that when we accept Jesus, the Bible says he comes to abide in us, to be with us, to dwell in us. And uh, uh, that's the exact same thing that this other, another helper is going to do. We saw that. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so Turning to uh, uh, John chapter 15 now, I just want to point out a couple more things that the Holy Spirit is. The Bible says in John chapter 15, uh, verse 26, it says, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So this spirit of truth shows us things. Now he says this spirit of truth is going to empower you to be a witness of me. Remember, Jesus said this in John or in Acts chapter 1, 8, when he said earlier, John baptizes with water, but I baptize with the spirit. And this spirit will empower you and uh, 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 encourage you to be witnesses to me in all these places that he talked about around the world. So the, it's a spirit of truth. It's a, a spirit that uh, empowers us to witness. Let's look at John uh, chapter 16, uh, verses five through eight. What else is the role of the Holy Spirit? Jesus said this in John 16, verse five. He says, but now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you asks, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Well, the, the part of Jesus is going away, that sorrow filled their heart. They made an intimate connection with them. And Jesus was saying, you know, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. That's what he said in John chapter 14. He's trying to encourage them. And he said, nevertheless, I will tell you the truth. It is to your, listen to this, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now that's what Jesus said. That's why he had a fervent desire to eat the Passover dinner, to go to the cross, because he knew the advantage that we would have by having the Holy Spirit live inside of us. It was the same advantage that he had when the Holy Spirit came upon him. He knew that at that point his life was filled with power, was filled with destiny, was filled with guidance. It was filled with an obedience to do the things that God had called him to do. And so he calls that our advantage. 
that the Holy Spirit is our advantage. When you operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, you have an advantage over people. You know, the world does not know this spirit. Uh, the, the world thinks it's foolishness, but this spirit is our connection to the deep things of God, to the assurance that God is with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. And when he has come, in verse 8, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. It's not our job to be the convictor of people in their sin. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And because the Holy Spirit is the convictor, then we can just be those people who are called to love people and encourage people and strengthen people and lead people as witnesses to Jesus Christ. He's going to convict the world of sin. And uh, because they don't believe in me, he says, of righteousness, because I go to be with my father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. But listen to verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. Jesus knew he was unloading so much knowledge, so, so many new concepts unto uh, his disciples at that time that he had to kind of back down some of the things that he was saying to them. It's like a, it's like a sermon, 30, 40, 45, 50 minutes. There's only so many things that a, a pastor can say to his congregation in one message because it just becomes too much to absorb and to understand. But uh, like any good preacher who closes their message multiple times, Jesus was gonna close this one just one more time because he says, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, this is what he'll do. Listen, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and will tell all things to come. See, when you have the Holy Spirit uh, uh, living inside of you, one of the things that comes is that the Holy Spirit becomes your guide as well. He reveals things to you, words of knowledge and wisdom, things that are prophetic, things of faith that you can hold on to. Because why? Those are the attributes of who the Holy Spirit is. And the Apostle Paul teaches that in the book of Corinthians. And so it's interesting. When you look at all of these things that, the, that Jesus says this helper is going to be to us. This Holy Spirit, he's going to be an intercessor. He's going to be a comforter. He's going to be our helper. He's going to be our guide. He's going to be a counselor. He's going to be a teacher to us. And he comes with power and authority for the places that God is leading us to. You know, in the book of Joshua, God says this to Joshua. He says, Joshua, be bold and courageous. He said, every place in which your foot shall tread, every place you go representing me, you can trust and know that I will be with you. And every place in which your foot shall tread, I will give you authority in that place. 
And we, as the New Testament church, we've been walking for over 2,000 years since Jesus went to be with the Father, when he ascended into heaven. Aren't you glad that we're not like a powerless orphan? Aren't you glad that we're not fatherless? Aren't you glad that Jesus said we would not be alone? He proved it, and our destinies are completely transformed because the Holy Spirit has come to not be by us or around us. No, the Holy Spirit has come to be in us. John said, I baptize with water, but one's gonna come after me who I'm not even worthy to hold his sandals because he's not only so amazing, but he has a greater purpose and a greater destiny to me. And this one who is greater than me is gonna baptize you in the Holy Spirit. You know, I know a lot of people have found through different and various teachings the Holy Spirit to be a controversial part of the Trinity. But I want to encourage you today, there's no controversy in anything that Jesus has said to us and wants us to have. You might not fully grasp or comprehend it, but there's no controversy. When Jesus said it, he intended it to be ours and we can walk with that. You say to me today, you say, Pastor, how in the world can I receive this Holy Spirit? Well, I have good news for you. It's simple. You just ask the one who gives it to give it to you. Jesus is the one that baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to pray for you now that this message has touched your heart, that the truth of this word will enable you to see, like the uh, the, the New Testament believers in the upper room, when they waited, what happened? When they were sequestered, what happened? Well, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to talk about this more next time, that the Holy Spirit came just like Jesus said he would. He fell upon them, he empowered them, and we are still living in the midst of that empowerment and having that power ourselves some 2,000 years later. So I wanna pray for you today. I wanna to pray that you would ask God to touch you with what Jesus promised you could have. And so Father, in Jesus' name, I just pray for each person watching this message today. I pray, God, that there would be an impartation of knowledge that would flow through them, that there would be a connecting of their spirits, that their spirits would cry out for this deeper connection with you through the baptism and infilling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, I pray today that as each person asks you to fill them with the Holy Spirit, that you would honor that prayer that you would come to them in this special way. And that, Father, you would fill them with this empowerment and all of the giftings that come by receiving the Holy Spirit. And so, Jesus, today, I thank you. I thank you that you didn't leave us as orphans or fatherless, but you left us empowered for the work and the witness of the kingdom of God. And we pray all of these things in the precious 
and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. I'm so excited for you. And I just pray that experience that I had in 1984, that I'm continuing to be filled with his spirit anew, even now, that that experience could be yours as well. God bless you. We're looking forward to seeing you next week. And remember, when we see you next week, it's going to be for many of you right here in this sanctuary. God bless you.